Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Thank you, Tree family. Thank you, Pastor Don. (laughs) You know, when... uh, they ask you to do a uh, church directory picture, just say no. You never know when it's going to come back to haunt you, really, <laughs> after all those years. But truly, truly, uh, this church is a church that invests in the lives of those in the next generation. Um, and I am so very grateful. My family, um, my, my parents, Lemoyne and Judy, um, uh, came to this church many years ago. My brother and I, of course, followed. And we got to participate in the children's programs and eventually the youth programs that Tree of Life had. Um, And it was just a testimony of faithfulness of people and people who take ministry seriously and the, the responsibility that God has placed on them seriously. And so Thank you so much, Pastor Don. Um, I have, Pastor Karen is over here, um, and she is just so very influential in my life, and it means so much that you're here this morning. Um, so thank you for everything that you've invested in my family and in me. Pastor Don, same to you. Um, there were uh, lots of occasions that, that we had, as, as I had as a middle schooler and a high schooler, to participate in ministry to some extent. Um, pastor Don, at the time, was my uh, middle school youth pastor, so I have some love to share as well. So there you have it. This was on a mission trip. I was probably seventh or eighth grade, and you can see Pastor Don and Pastor Jessamy there. Again, just picture proof of investing into the next generation. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah. You reap what you sow. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I learned that from you, I think. All right. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. As you're doing that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the people that came here. Lord, you brought them here on purpose. Lord, I thank you for the word that goes forth this morning. You promised that it will not return empty, but it will accomplish the purposes for which you sent it. Lord, I thank you for the posture of our hearts as you prepare the soil for the seed to land. Lord, I pray that we would not easily forget, but we would listen and also be a doer of this word. Thank you for your goodness and your grace that saturates this place. Lord, we know it's your goodness that draws people to you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right, Matthew chapter 25. We're gonna be starting in verse 14, but before we begin, I wanna give you a little bit of background on this set of scripture here. We can go back actually a couple of chapters. Jesus is traveling around the area And there's crowds of people that are following him because of the signs, wonders, and miracles that he does. There's people that are curious about him. They want to learn more. So they follow. They listen. They follow. They listen. They watch. 
And then there's another set of people that follow Jesus, his inner crowd, his disciples. And they're a little bit closer. They're in his inner circle. And he teaches them directly. And they get to also experience some of the things that he's talking about. Well, in the time, the Roman government was in charge. This wasn't necessarily a happy time for the Jews of the day. Now, with Jesus going around doing all these amazing things, he had this great following. He keeps talking about something called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, some of the uh, um, New Testament uh, references call it. So kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, we're, we're talking about the same thing here. And so in their mind, in the people's mind, what they're thinking is a kingdom, another kingdom. One day we're going to have this man be established as king in our kingdom, and it's going to be just like the days of David in the Old Testament. So they're getting kind of excited about this idea. So Jesus is trying to clear that all up and say, wait, wait a second. That's not what I'm talking about here. And so he would teach and he'd teach a parable to try to explain a difficult concept. And again, he would have to teach it again. And again, he'd have to teach it again because they weren't getting it quite so much. Even his inner crowd, his disciples, were a little confused about it as well. There were two disciples that were brothers that were following Jesus. And the mother of these brothers came to Jesus at one point and said, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on the right hand and one of my sons on the left? And just so happened, this is, this is a side note, fun fact. Those two brothers were Jesus's cousins. And so the woman that came to ask him was Jesus's aunt, kind of like, you know, can you give me a family favor? for what's about to happen here. And Jesus says, woman, you don't know what you're asking. Those positions are not mine to give away. You're asking for positional political authority and that's not, that's not what I'm after. That's not my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. So Jesus, even in that instance, foreshadows his betrayal, death, burial, and resurrection. But still people are proceeding to think about the physical, political kingdom that they think Jesus is going to establish. And Jesus continues to teach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in order to try to teach again, he starts talking about a parable, the parable of the talents. You've probably read it many times. We're going to read through it. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version or the ESV. Uh, there are many versions out there, but I want to go ahead and tell you this one's the best. It's my favorite. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start in verse 14. For it, and it being the kingdom of God, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To each one he gave five talents, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he who made five, and he made five talents more. So he who had also the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, sorry, I lost my place, <laughs> went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time. The master of the servants came back and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of a harsh note to end on, huh? <laughs> Let's go back and review just a little bit. Now, what I like to do whenever I'm reading or studying, I like to do check comprehension to do like a beginning, middle, and end check, just to make sure if I could tell the whole story, then I truly maybe understood it. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. So parts of this, though, I have to tell you, I've read this story many, many times, and I've heard it many, many times, and there are some parts of it that I just didn't, it didn't click with me, and there are questions that I ask myself, why was the master so incredibly harsh with that third servant? And I think to myself, if, if there's a discrepancy in me, if it seems unfair, there's a very good chance that I don't quite understand it to the level that Jesus intended it because Jesus is not unfair. That goes against his character. And so that means I have to dig down a little bit, try to figure out what's going on here to check my understanding of it. So that's precisely what I did. Here in the beginning, check the beginning, so the master entrusted his servants to his property. Another way of saying that is he delegated responsibilities. That's pretty straightforward. In the middle, you have the behavior or the actions of the servants. That's pretty straightforward too. The first and the second service servants mirrored each other pretty well. Uh, they were um, almost identical, except for the n number of talents that they were given. The third servant was a little different. First and second servants knew what the master wanted and they went out immediately and did something. Now. My version that I was reading, the ESV, doesn't necessarily state exactly what they did, but they put it to good use. That's all we know. Now the third servant, the third servant took the master's money and he dug a hole in the ground and hid it. The Message Bible says he carefully buried it. He took great care to bury it. Now let me explain something here. In Bible times, it's not uncommon for people to bury things of great value. You think about it, if you have something of great value nowadays, what do you do? You take it to the bank and you put it in a safety deposit box and you make sure that it's nice and safe. Well, they didn't have those at the time. In fact, they didn't even have banks. They had bankers. Bankers would loan out money and then charge interest. That was their business. But there were no brick and mortar banks, per se. And so in order to keep something safe, the practice was, under cover of night or in secrecy, 
one person would go out, dig a hole, bury whatever it was that was precious, cover it up, and then not let anybody know where it was. Because if anybody knew where it was, somebody else might come dig it up and take it, right? So, the third servant was acting in what he thought was a good way to protect what the master had given him. But really what he was doing was he was protecting himself. He was the only one that knew where it was. Hang on to that for just a little bit. Okay. Now the end. The master returned to settle accounts, to evaluate his investment, if you will. Now, for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, that wasn't quite so straightforward. Had to do a little bit of of some more digging there to try to understand what does that mean, settle accounts? I don't have a finance background. Uh, You know, when I was little, um, I used to want to be an investment banker, but I lost interest. (laughs) Some of you followed a little bit later, that's all right, that's all right. It's a bad joke, it's a bad joke. But truly, truly, I have, a, I have a background in education. I do not have it in finance. My dad was a banker for many years, and so I learned a lot from him, and then I married somebody who's in finance, so I learned a lot from him. Uh, I also learned a lot from YouTube. Uh, so, yes, true. You do have to be careful what you watch there, but. Um, so I wanted to find out what was the big deal? Why was this master so incredibly angry with this third servant? Then I learned about this idea of a return on investment, or ROI. If you would, direct your attention to the screen. ROI helps investors evaluate the performance of an investment and compare it to the performance of their other investments. School's out for summer, and Joe's children ask for some startup cash for their respective summer businesses. Joe gives each child $100. In return, they must split their profits 50-50 with Joe at the end of the summer. Joe's daughter opens a lemonade stand. Joe's son buys a lawnmower. As the summer progresses, the children work hard at their businesses. Joe's daughter sells many cups of lemonade, and his son mows every lawn in the neighborhood. At the end of the summer, Joe's son has earned $500. Joe receives $250. Subtracting his original investment of $100, Joe is left with $150 profit, an impressive 150% return on investment. Joe's daughter has earned $1,000. Joe receives $500, minus the $100 original investment, and that's $400 profit, a whopping 400% ROI. Joe earned $4 for every $1 he invested. Joe's daughter provided the best ROI. ROI is one of many measures that help investors evaluate investments. All right. A great thanks to YouTube there, huh? (laughs) So here's what it boils down to. The master was looking for a return on investment, not a return of the investment. There's a pretty crucial conjunction right there, of and on. That makes a pretty big difference here. You know, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. 
And what our master expects of us is a return on his investment. Not just the return of our lives. You have something to invest. All right, so here we go. We'll move along. The first and second servants knew well his master, knew well their master, and took what they gave, what he gave them, and used them well. He, they used it in the way that pleased their master, and they did it immediately without hesitation. That's something that's so very interesting to me. They knew well the work of, it, of their master, knew well enough to know they can take it and do something with that immediately. In essence, they would be able to act as if the master was there commanding and telling him what to do. They just knew. The third servant, his train of thought was on the wrong tracks. The master wasn't looking for that return of the investment. The servant did not work or conduct his master's business. The ESV footnote says, instead he hid it away where it did no good for anyone and did not gain additional value. Again, that was the act of self-preservation. I am afraid of what my master's gonna say at the end of this and if I don't keep this one thing safe, I don't know what's gonna happen to me. So I'm gonna go protect myself and bury it in the ground. I don't wanna risk it, that's what he's saying. So, beginning, middle, and end. And you say, now, okay, how does that all apply to me? Uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard this story many, many times. And, and I have too. So hang on, hang on with me. I'm going to explain this just a little bit more, and I'm hoping some light bulbs go off, just as it did with me. So this is the part where it gets really, really cool. So we all have talents. All of us. There's nobody in this room that's an exception to that. The oldest to the youngest, tallest to the shortest, among which I am some. <laughs> we all have talents. We've been entrusted with or have been delegated responsibilities in the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility here. We're not just called to sail through this life. Ephesians 4, verse 4 in the Message Bible I like the Message Bible too when I want to dig a little bit more, maybe hear it in a different way, the paraphrased version here. It says, you are all called to travel the same road in the same direction. That's all of us. We are all called. But we should not all look, speak, and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, this is going on into verse 7, out of the generosity of Christ, each one of us is given our own gift. So I want to illustrate this just a little bit more with you, um, and this is really where it hit home for me. Um, so I've asked if Pastor Dave could join me, and Spencer, I'm going to do a little bit of an illustration here. Let's give them a round of applause as they come up. All right, so <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, I'm going to participate in this as well. So I am going to ask you to write a number on this whiteboard, but don't show anybody else, not until I say. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question, and your answer is going to be a number. So write it on this board, and then hold on to it for just a second, okay? We're going to all have the same question, and we're going to see what happens here, okay? 
So I would like for you to please, on that board, write in pounds how much you can carry from this stage, this platform, to the back of the sanctuary. Like a farmer's carry, like a farmer's carry, like this. Not on your back, farmer's carry. Yeah, we have, we have right here, we have Fit Pastor. Yeah, that's Pastor Dave. We have a person who stole that hashtag, but now hashtag Fit Mortgage Lender. He did take it from Pastor Dave. And then there's me, I don't have a hashtag. I just like M&M's, so maybe hashtag M&M Eater. Say that three times fast. My gosh. Okay, you got it? So make sure you write it big so people can see. I'm going to participate in this too. So hold on, I've got to write mine. How much do M&M's weigh? Jalapeno M&M's, by the way. Those are really good. They're hard to find right now. Probably because they're so good. There's people out there saying, what? No. You want, you want to get into an argument with somebody, you talk about M&M flavors. Good night. Okay. All right. So you ready? Okay. So we're going to start. We're going to do this one at a time. I'll stand over here. Okay. Everybody see? Okay. Okay. Pastor Dave, can you go first? 280. Wow. That's pretty impressive. All right. Um, this, this is not a competition. I should have said that from the get-go. I'm sorry. I, t- <laughs> I truly am not changing my notes here. This is not a competition. Maybe he should have gone last. Okay. This is a test, so we do have some weights in the back. We're going to bring them out, make sure they do. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Okay, Spencer, let's see yours. Let's see yours. Okay. 180. All right. That's, that's still pretty impressive. I mean, I didn't hear oohs and ahs. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You ready for mine? Okay. This is not a joke. This is not a trick either. So are you ready for this? Okay. All right. So here we go. <laughs> now I have a question mark there because I truly am not sure how much I could carry from here to there. I don't work out at 4.30 in the morning or whatever ungodly hour you go to the gym. The only reason that I have an inkling of an idea is for the times in the grocery store when I've had a kiddo that had a meltdown and I had to pick him up and carry them out. That was about 50 pounds worth. So that's how I know. All right, so the purpose of this illustration though is this. This is where it's so cool and this is where I'm hoping you can grasp this. I'm hoping to see some light bulbs go here. So y'all hang with me for just a second. All right, in the Old Testament, The origin of this word talent, it means this, a weight of a load that a man can carry. It's sinking in. A talent is a weight of a load that a man can carry. So if you look at this comparison here, the master who gave out the talents, the five, the two, the one, was not an unjust master. He gave to each according to his own ability. All right? Okay. Pastor Dave's 280 pounds. It sure would be foolish of me to desire his talent. Because there ain't no way I can carry that. And I for sure don't want five times that amount. 
I have to say the same for Spencer's. There is absolutely no way that I can carry that. I can carry what I have to carry. This is my talent. It is within my abilities to carry it. All right, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you so much. All right, so that's the Old Testament. I, I love words. I love digging into those words and, and figuring out what it is that those actually mean. What was it in that time? So that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, however, had a little bit of a different meaning, but it went along the same line. A talent was a load that a man can carry, and you can see it varied from person to person. As measurements did at that time, measurement was, you know, a, instead of a mile, it was how far can a man walk in a day? Um, instead of measuring yards, it was the length from here to here, or a hand breadth. Perhaps it was, <laughs> perhaps it was a, um, an acre. Instead of an acre, it was the area of land that an ox can plow in a day. So you're getting, getting the idea here. Well, in the New Testament, a talent was the load that a man can carry, which was about average 75 pounds. These men, I guess, were in Goliath's camp because they were not of the Israelite camp. 75 pounds was about average for the Israelite camp here. So 75 pounds, they would take it and they would, they would uh, have a rock that was 75 pounds or a stone, and that would be a talent. They would take it and they would put it on a scale, and they would measure out gold, silver, or copper coins that would balance that talent out. And that's how you got a talent's worth of money. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's really neat here, so hang on. You ready to, to blow your mind again? <laughs> so that was Old Testament talent. Here's New Testament talent. You ready for this? Yeah, oh, there we go. Okay. All right. In the New Testament, a talent was monetary reckoning. It was not a coin, but it was an estimation of something of value measured on a scale rather than counted. One talent was equal to 6,000 uh, drachmas or shekels. You can imagine counting out 6,000 of those things. So that's why they did the weigh system. It'd save you some time there. So just to put it in perspective for you, the average New Testament worker made $15 an hour, which is pretty good, I might say. Equaled out to be about $30,000 a year. Okay? A talent represented $600,000. It really depends on what version you're reading and the translation thereof. It could mean, well, the ESV would say this one, so I'm telling you it's the best. $600,000. And a worker in the New Testament time can earn this in 20 years worth of work. So you can get the magnitude of how much the master entrusted to his servants. Now get this. Lifespan in the Bible isn't as it is now. People didn't live as long as we live. 20 years worth of work was virtually a lifetime. What they put their hand to do in a lifetime earned one talent's worth of money. Sinking in. Your life, what God has entrusted you, is equal to one talent, what you put your hand to do. The load that you carry, your load, is your talent. Okay. Here we go. Our talents differ, as you saw. 
up here with this illustration and your talent is unique to you. We will all give account one day. The master will come back and we'll have to report on our return on investment. Not just merely the return of investment. Romans 14, 12 in the ESV says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This is really funny. Whenever I, <laughs> whenever I'm interacting with kids, you know, we have behavior issues sometimes, sometimes. And my own children as well. Sometimes adults, if you notice. There's, but if you're working with kids or if you have kids of your own, the very first thing you say when there's a conflict of some sort, you say, what did you do? And that kiddo that you're addressing will say, well, he did, well, she did, well, it. And you say, no, what did you do? Well, he, she, mm-mm. what did you do? I'm gonna talk to your sister in a second. What did you do? You have to give an account for yourself. And at that moment in time when the master comes back and we're giving account, it's just for us. It's not what the people around us did or didn't do or who our parents were or what church you went to. All right, here's the bomb diggity here. This is the part that I went, oh my gosh. So the master was present. This is the timeline of all of this and giving account. The master was present. He's going to come back. And we are beautifully positioned between these two ticks in time, right in the middle. You know what that means? Our timeline is set, but it's not over yet. Action is required on our part. Perhaps we've started out like that third servant, but it does not mean we have to finish like him. Let me say that again. If you started out like the third servant, you don't have to finish like him. Look at the latter part of the dialogue in scripture again. This is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25 in the message version. And guys, I didn't give this to you. So it's all right, it's all right, I'll read it. The servant given the one talent said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid that I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place. I secured your money, here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. Does that sound familiar? I can't tell you how many times I've just tried to hide because I didn't want to risk it. I was afraid of disappointing. So here's some, some advice here brought to you by the parable of the talents. Avoid these common pitfalls. Stop digging a hole. Stop burying your life in something that isn't pleasing to the master. How about this one? Stop acting like you're the master of your own life and realize that we are just in temporary possession of it. How about this? Stop being afraid of not measuring up. You will not disappoint God. You know, the truth be told, he told the third servant, I would have been happy with just a little interest, just a little. I didn't even have that, just a little. How about this one? Get out of your hiding place. Stop. 
Stop comparing yourself to others. Don't let that be your reason for hiding. It was foolish for me to want Pastor Dave's talent. I can't carry it. Stop using others as a standard for measurement in your life or for your talent. So real quick and review here. A talent represents your life or the weight you carry. Your talent is unique to you. It is the load you carry. It is the load that you carry that God has entrusted to you for the kingdom of God, which is now. The master went away for a time and he will return. And right now we are beautifully positioned between those two ticks in time, the beginning and the end. We're right in the middle, which means we have time to take action or corrective action if needed. Perhaps we started out like the third servant, but we don't have to finish like him. You know, I am so thankful for God's grace. covers a multitude of sin and foolishness when we reason our way out of what God has entrusted to us. You know, in Bible times, the scales and weights were common and varied from person to person, as you saw up here, and from region to region as well. But do you know who set the standard? It was whoever was in charge. Whoever conquered the area, they got to set the standard weight. Do you know who set the standard for us? It's the king. The king sets the standard. And he's not comparing you to anyone else or anyone else's standards. He is looking for your return on investment of the one talent he gave you. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.